Greetings, friends. It's a blessing for me to serve you with the good news of Jesus Christ. Today I'm going to encourage you, and I trust this word will help you to just find life in all this mess that's going on in the world. Well, let me put it this way. You can't find life in the mess of this world, but even though everything is going in the world the way it's going, that you can find encouragement and compassion and love and kindness that flows from the heart of God towards you. We need to understand that God is a God of compassion, and that's what I'm going to talk about. He's a God that knows and understands our weakness. He's a God that knows what it is to be weak. Now, one would say that is impossible. Jesus never knows what it is to be weak. God doesn't know weakness. It's impossible for him to know weakness. I agree, it's impossible for God to know weakness unless he becomes a man, because a man is a weak being. And that is exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. That's who he was. And then he was appointed as high priest in his resurrection. Today I'm going to look at the passage in the scripture that says that he's a compassionate high priest. But before we get into that, let us pray together. Father, thank you so much that you love us and that you care for us. Thank you for the great love that you have shown towards us in Jesus Christ, that we can have peace through you. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to be uh, controlled by the world, but that we can be controlled by you. Amen and amen. Now, uh, if we look at the passage in Romans chapter 8, a very famous scripture that I'm quickly going to read to you, you will see that the Bible says that creation groans. Creation groans. And we've got that passage uh, so pinned down, and we think we understand everything about it, and we say, well, creation waits for us as the church to be manifested. And we as the church should now pull up our socks, and we should be manifested as the sons of God. It's time that we take up our sonship. Now, that is one of the most erroneous teachings that there is, and that would basically be equivalent to eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and uh, manifest yourself as a son by your own power and not wait for God to do it. So what I'm trying to say to you is that there will be a time in our lives, there will be a time in this world where the sons of God will be in the world, but where God has not manifested the sons. We would know one another as sons of God because we are born of the same Father, but the world will not know us because they have not known the Father, and the world will not know who we are until the Father manifests us as sons. So it is something that we wait for. It's something that is in the future. It's something that we have not yet attained unto. It's something that we have not yet received. It's something that Paul said that he count everything but dung, that he may partake in the power of the resurrection and be a partaker of the resurrection and be manifested as a son of God, according to Philippians chapter 3. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, I've spoken to several people and what I experience and I see also uh, many of my pastor friends say the same thing uh, when they communicate with their church members and that is that people are basically to a great deal in despair because of what's going on in the world especially when it comes to governments and the vaccine. 
there's a group of people that believe that there are these stupid, idiotic people that don't want to get the vaccine and therefore they're going to cause the end of the world. They're going to cause mankind to die away and they don't want to comply. They just make life difficult. And then this other group of people, they just believe that the governments has got there's something uh, wrong about what's happening and they're forcing us. They are forcing us and taking away our freedom and this is not right. Uh, there's something very much wrong with it. Uh, people losing their jobs. People that are willing, they were willing to help people without the vaccine, uh, you know, when there was no vaccine, laying their life on the line. And now, after they maybe even had uh, COVID, have got natural immunity, now they lose their jobs. They, we look at these things. People can be of both groups. We look at wars in the world. We look at what's going on. We look at politicians, how corrupt they are. Uh, it's almost um, becoming more and more in the open. And people look at this and it brings forth a pain in their heart. They're saying this is not right. It's not the way it is supposed to be. It must be that there's something better. And what we are crying is, come Lord. Come, Lord. It's even the people that has died, the people under the altar, the martyrs under the altar, they even cry and saying, when are you going to have vengeance upon those that have shed our, shed our blood? It is as if there is just a massive saying that this is wrong. There's a groaning that says something is wrong. And I want to say this. Um, there are some that feel that this groaning is overtaking them. They feel that. We don't know what we must do. We can even, uh, you know, there, there's too many people in the earth. We need to wipe a lot of the people off the face of the earth so that things can just get back into balance. People would say that. People would have those thoughts. If you think of uh, poverty in South Africa, think of great poverty and all those kind of things. Uh, people come and say there's just too many people. There's too many people. And then, uh, you know, getting people from other countries also coming in. There's just too many. What are we going to do? And then death thought to become the answer. We need to, uh, you know, there's just too many people. We, even some people must just die. There's just too many of them is what's going on in people's minds. And there's a, there's a, 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 a pain. Something is wrong that's going on. And we don't know how to articulate this. We don't know what to do with this as Christians. We don't know how to feel about these things because in our hearts, sometimes these feelings arise and we sometimes feel that we, we get overcome by them. It's too much for us. Is if we find that we are very weak, we don't know what to say. We don't know how to go about. Now, I want to like, I would like to read to you from Hebrews chapter 8, and I'm going to read from verse 18. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 18. And we need to understand this. If we, um, excuse me, not Hebrews, Romans. Romans 8 verse 18. Paul was talking about the very same things. And we need to understand that what Paul was going through is he was going through things that are like what we are going through and even worse. He was talking about uh, and I can read this to you in Romans 8 here towards the end. Um, here it is in verse 38. He says, For I am persuaded 
that neither death nor life, nor angel, nor principality or power, principalities and powers, he's talking about governments there, nor thing present, nor thing to come. Now, if you think of your government and where you are now, would that qualify as something that is to come by Paul? Yes. Neither height, nor depth, nor any other creature or thing in creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is the love of God that there is in Christ Jesus our Lord? And that the love of God that there is in Christ Jesus our Lord is the resurrection, the full glorification of our flesh, the full restoration of the whole physical earth. That is the love of God. He loved us so much that he gave his son, his only begotten. In other words, Jesus as high priest, the resurrected Christ was given, that can have compassion on us, that knows our weakness, that knows our uh, poverty, that knows our disease, that knows our fears, that knows our anxieties, that knows all those things, that knows what it feels like to think that this thing that is ahead of me, it feels as if it's draining the life out of me. It feels as if it's killing me. Uh, He knows that. He has been appointed as the high priest over us to bring the fullness of who Jesus today is bodily over us, having compassion on us. So the love of God, this Jesus was given so that we will not perish, but have everlasting life. And I want to tell you the weakest, absolute weakest, excuse me for the strong words, most pathetic, erroneous understanding of eternal life is the concept of leaving your body and going to heaven. The early church never defined eternal life outside of knowing the bodily resurrection as, the, as, as that which God brings. When they thought of the kingdom of God, they thought of the, uh, uh, the fullness of the Godhead and what God had in mind for them, they had resurrection, restoration, the full glory of God on the earth in mind, and that they had not perishing in mind. They had an empty grave in mind. They had Jesus and the Father living with us in the earth, God with us, they had in mind. Not some spiritual hoo-ha. They had in mind stake on the plate, man. They didn't have Socrates uh, in mind with all of his, um, you know, he was going into death peacefully because he was saying that I'm leaving my body and I'm getting out of the cage. No. Uh, that is not what the early church had in mind. The early church saw eternal life as defined by the word that became flesh and dwelt amongst us and was raised from the dead. The restoration of all things, the fullness of the righteousness of God in all governance and government and in the earth where we find heaven and earth collide, where the fullness of heaven manifests in earth. That is what they had in mind. And that is what they defined as the love of God. And he says here that no government that is ever to come, nothing that could ever come, nor any other creature, 
no other thing that would ever be created in the future. Even if they make robots that looks like people, that you cannot even dis- make a distinction, it doesn't care. God doesn't care. Paul doesn't care. Nothing that could ever come can separate me from what God had for me in Jesus Christ. Now, with that in mind, we are reading verse 18 here. It says, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. It does not say that I reckon that the sufferings of this present time cannot be worthy to be compared with the mansion that I have in heaven when I leave this body. That's not what he says. That is, if, if one would preach the typical message that we hear today about where we go when we die and define that as the victory that there is in God, uh, Paul would have called that heresy. I want to just say to you, every person that has ever died is still in time. They have not exchanged the temporal with the eternal. That is absolute lie. Every person that has ever died in Christ is still in time. They are awaiting the resurrection, man. They are awaiting. They are still in time. They're still in a place of an imperfection. Perfection is defined in what Jesus Christ is in, in his resurrection and ascension. That is what perfection is. And that is what God has promised us. If we don't believe that, you will be in this world, you'll look at the news media, you will look at all these kind of things, and you will have some, You will not see any purpose on this earth. You'll just occupy until you rapture, that kind of thing. Occupy till I come. So it would be like we occupy, we want to gain more and more on the earth. We don't know for what reason, but then we're just going to go. No, this is not the message. That's not the message. The message is about heaven coming to earth. The message here, listen to what it says here, I reckon that the suffering of this present time cannot be counted worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. And then he explains what it is. He says, For the earnest expectation of the creature waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. So what he's basically saying is, we are waiting to be manifested in this earth as the sons of God. And the Bible says that is called the adoption. That is called the glorification of our bodies. That's what it calls. That's called the glory of God revealed in this physical earth, in our bodies, where we will shine as the sun, where we will look like the glorified, ascended Jesus Christ right here. We will look like that right here on earth. That's what he's saying. He says here, he says, I reckon that the sufferings we have in this present time and nothing that will, no suffering that even is to come can separate me from being manifested by God as a son in this earth. Now, you need to understand there's some futuristic thing here and we will talk about that. It says, for the earnest expectation of the creature waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him that has subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption. Creation shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the sons of God. For we know 
that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves also, which have the first fruit of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to witness the redemption of our bodies. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man sees, why does he yet hope for it? But if we hope for it, for what we see not, then do we do it with patience. Now translation says, we do with patience, wait for it. Okay, so what is he saying here? He says that in this world, we are groaning. Groaning. It says creation groans. We as Christians groan. We are saying there are things in this world that is not just. There are things in this world that is not right. There are things in this world that is unjust. That is simply not the way it is, the way it's supposed to be. There are rulership and governments that are simply plain forward evil, hating all that is good. That is just the way it is. We see that. And as we see that, if we don't have a gospel that has a hope, but we've got a gospel that says we've already received everything now, we will be hopeless. And you will live as people that have no hope. You'll become flooded with despair. You'll become occupied with politics. You'll become occupied with the latest news, the latest COVID reports, the latest everything. Your mind will be spinning with those things. And not just spinning with it, you will, you will see that you have to know all these things to do something about it, to bring salvation to the earth. For you think that everything has been given to you already, and therefore there's nothing outstanding that God, God must bring by his doing to the earth now let me tell you something there is things that we are hoping for and he says here what we hope for is the manifestation of perfection in this earth and he says if we hope for it how do we do it we patiently wait for it and while we patiently wait for it since we know it's something that God shall still manifest in the earth we are not overcome by seeing that we have lacks, lack and need in this world we when we see the evil in this world and we say this is not supposed to be so life must come to this earth righteousness must manifest in this earth um, death must be overcome as the last enemy yes jesus did overcome death he definitely did it has already happened but it's the the victory of christ has not yet manifested in fullness in the earth that is what we are waiting for and it has not been up to us it has not be, been given to us to manifest that church we need to understand that if you the more you try to manifest that the more you're going to mess it up so i want to say to you if creation grown and we who have the first fruit of the spirit grown as well in suffering the bible says you're groaning as in birth pains in other words we are saying we are groaning we are saying we are in pain creation says it is in pain we are saying we are in pain but the pain that we are in is not a hopeless pain it is a pain wherein we have got an expectation of the birth of a son 
And the Son that is born in us is the Son that we, are or we already are that will be born into manifestation into this world as by the doing of God. And it's defined as the adoption of sons, which is defined as the salvation of our physical body from all death. That's what it is, church. I mean, what can I say? That's what it is. To me, when I look at, uh, at, at what's going on in the world, all forms of death, Whatever it is, be it governments that are wicked, that steal money, that lie, that cheat, that makes debt like as if it's going out of fashion. Doesn't matter what it is. If I look at all of that, if I think it is right or wrong, doesn't matter. If I look at that and I feel a groaning in me wherein I'm saying, God, we are suffering here and we, we are suffering. I'm saying that there is something more that is to be manifested by God. Everything has been paid, but everything that has been paid for has not manifested. Let me explain it to you this way. It's like buying a fleet of cars. You buy the fleet of cars, it's paid for, it is yours, but the fleet of cars that you bought from Japan or bought from Germany is on the ship and it shall arrive. There is no reason to think that the cars don't belong to you if you have the receipt, which is the first fruit of the Spirit. There's no reason to think that it's not yours. There's no, there's no reason to fear. And there's no reason to be afraid if you don't see the cars standing in your, at your company um, if you bought a fleet of cars. If it's not in the garages there, if it's not there, if you bought 10 trucks and it's not there yet and it is paid for, it's on the ship from wherever and you don't see it, you're not overthrown by what you don't see. Why? Because you've got hope. The hope. What hope do you have? You've got the receipt, the proof that is already paid for. You know that it's been put on the ship and it's on its way. And now you look at the empty garage and you look at the transport problem that you have, not hopelessly. Yes, you're still going through difficult times, but not with no hope. Church, I love the grace message. I love the gospel. I love the message of Jesus Christ has done it all. But I am completely against the message that says it all has manifested. And that it's now up to us as the church to try to manifest ourselves as the sons of God. And that we do by uh, trying to throw our weight around in the world uh, through votes and through this and through that. You're, gonna, you're wasting your time. Um, if you think that the kingdom of God is going to come that way. I don't think you waste your time in casting a vote and doing your part in government and in, in, in elections and those kind of things. But I think you're wasting your time as you think that is how the kingdom of God is going to manifest in the earth. Wasting your time. That, that I can say with great boldness. So here it says that we groan. So now, when we groan with hope, we will not be overcome by the groaning or by the suffering. But if we don't have hope, if your hope is in going to heaven, you will say, well, heaven is out there, we're on this earth, and it's better. we better make the world better for us while we live here. And you will be overcome by what governments do. You'll be overcome by the corruptions of this world. These days, with social media and with the news that's just everywhere, you can read the news 
everywhere, on your phone, wherever you go. You can never be without the news. And there's a lot of truth. There's a lot of, now I can't say any truth. Um, we can just say there are a lot of facts and there's a lot of um, uh, uh, conspiracies out there and all those kind of things and then you will look at all of this and you will say is this what the church have do has done look how weak the church is how are we overcome going to overcome this weakness because you don't understand if you look and say everything has been done you'll be at a place where you go will do introspection find fault with yourself and you'll find somebody telling you what you must do and then you'll be back into works and what you must do doesn't matter what it is in order to get the kingdom of God to manifest because you've lost hope now I want to tell you that God has got great compassion with us and he uh, uh, he knows weakness Jesus Christ knows weakness you might say Bertie God doesn't know weakness at all Jesus doesn't know weakness he's always just been strong he doesn't know any of that uh, we're going to look at scripture today and I'm going to show you that Jesus Christ is a compassionate high priest and that compassionate there talks about him not getting uh, quickly angry or get getting angry by our wrongdoings and sins because he was a partaker of weakness himself that Jesus Christ was at a place where he was himself uh, where, where he obeyed the father and he was in need of obedience to the father in order to partake of salvation it sounds like blasphemy but it's not blasphemy because the, the scripture teaches that and I'm going to show that to you from the scripture and as you look at this message that I'm going that I'm about to share with you I've just got 20 minutes left um, I'm going to go a bit over the time today <clears throat> um, but as you look at this we look at the scriptures you'll find great encouragement in the midst of a very difficult times it says therefore since we have a high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firm to the faith we profess. So what's happening here is, is that he's saying Jesus is a high priest. He has gone into heaven and he is now to administer his life to us. And since we have that, let us keep to the, the, the faith we profess. What is the faith? we profess the faith we profess can be uh can can be explained in many ways but what i like to see see here is we uh, hold to the fact that jesus christ was raised from the dead and that he is the one that will bring us eternal life that he was raised and that there's a resurrection for us that he is if you believe in your heart that he is lord and that he was raised from the dead you can confess that then you'll be saved that, that that's it okay so it says therefore since we have a great high priest which has ascended into the heavens jesus the son of god let us hold firm to the faith we profess for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness but we have one who has been tempted in every way say with me jesus has been tempted okay he was tempted in every way how are you tempted you are tempted when the weakness inside you uh, feels that it needs to use its own power to uh, create life it's where you are confronted with your own 
uh, weakness and you see your own weakness and then you are tempted to be the son of God by living from the power of yourself yet that you are weak. That is what it is. And no one has been tempted in, uh, and, and has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. So he says, let us approach the throne of grace. What is the throne of grace? It's the throne of God's grace, which is the power of God, whereby he brings into manifestation which he has promised from before the world began. There was a promise from before the world began, and that is eternal life. Grace is the power whereby God freely brings that forth in us who believe upon him. So we are saved by grace through faith. We are saved by the power of God. It says, let us come to the throne of grace that we may find grace to help. So what will help you? The grace of God. So we have a high priest that can grace us. We have got a high priest that can empower us in our difficult times. So it says here that he's got compassion. He knows our weaknesses. Then in chapter 5, I I would not have uh, put chapter 5 there. I would have just kept it right on to chapter 6. And chapter 6, I would have put uh, chapter 5 because we're breaking the thought Because he goes on, he says, every high priest, talking about this compassionate high priest who sits on the throne of grace, the throne of the power of God, which is the empty grave. I just want to say to you, the throne of God, cherubim on each side, is the mercy seat, the type and the shadow of the throne of God where God sits and has communion with us, is the empty grave. It's the physical empty grave. The early church never thought of communion with God outside of bodily resurrection. They thought that their communion with God was in the body of Jesus. That's where they have communion. Their common union was in the fact that they were humans and that there is a human being raised from the dead and that the Son of Man is seated at the right hand of God. And the common union between God and man is the glorified man, Jesus. That's why we are not scared. We don't hide our weakness in our flesh because we know the salvation even of our flesh in Jesus Christ. So the place where God has communion with us is where the stone is rolled away, where we see the, the, only the grave cloths, where there is no person there. God fellowships with us in the victory over physical death, death itself, and um, our, that's where we find union. That's where we fellowship. That is the word of life so that our fellowship can be with one another and with God in the eternal life. That is what he's talking about here. He says, come with confidence to that throne of grace. Why? Because the high priest knows what you're going through. But you don't know what they're saying about this and that and whatever. Maybe I don't, but the high priest does. Now explains why Jesus knows our weakness. Chapter 5, verse 1. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to present the people in matters related to God to offer gifts 
and sacrifices for sins, is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray. Why? Since he himself is subject to weakness. Okay, so in the Old Testament, high priests were taken. They were ordained of God. They didn't ordain themselves. They didn't go and vote and say, listen, I'm so powerful. Then they voted for the strongest and the most holy high priest. No, God chose a weak one. And then he brought him. This person had to sacrifice for his own sins. The reason why he sacrificed for his own sins is because he had sinned himself. He was weak himself. It says here, this is why he had to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as for the sins of the people. So it says here that God brought the high priest from amongst the people, meaning he was just a normal guy, brought him from amongst the people, and then appointed him as pertaining to the gifts and the sacrifices uh, wherein God basically give gifts unto men, wherein God makes a sacrifice and gives life to man. We need to understand that when uh, a sacrifice was made, let's say a lamb was taken, a lamb was, was, it says you must take a lamb or you must take this or you must take that and bring it to God, take the best of your flock and bring it to God, that kind of a thing. Uh, one should not think that it is you sacrificing something. Once you see it as God pointing out that which he has given, let me explain. Whatever you receive is from the hand of God. So it comes from God. Then God says, that which came from me, just take that perfect one. That's the one that I gave you, that I provided for you. And the purpose of that perfect lamb is so that I can even provide you with forgiveness of sins. So when we talk about a high priest, we talk about uh, a normal human being from amongst the people that knows the weakness of everybody. In the case of the Old Testament, which had to sacrifice for his own sins, the, the, the type and the shadow there was, who knows the weakness of all people. The only reason he sacrificed for his own sins was because he was weak. It was just to show he's just like every one of us. He's not the special one. He's like every one of us. And it is he represents God to the people and the people to God. And God now through him brings the gifts that he wants to give people, uh, which is forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins is not uh, a lamb that is slain to wash the mind of God from thinking of your sins because some transgression took place in history. No, when we think of forgiveness of sins, it is not the blood is, does not wash the mind of God. The blood is the life that God gave to wash us. What did the high priests do? The high priests performed the ceremonies and the rituals and everything in the cleansing of people so they could enter into the most uh, into the, the into the temple they they cleaned the people the, the temple was cleaned everything was cleaned why so that the people can have fellowship with god so the high priest came to wash the people why did the high priest come to wash the people because the high priest is the one that god gave who knows the weakness of the people to share with them and see that they are washed. It says here that he relates to them and he deals with them gently. That word dealing gently I want to read to you. Um, that is 
Hebrews 5. says, who can have compassion, who can, ha who can deal gently. That word compassion there is a very powerful word. I need to read it to you. It means of one who is not unduly disturbed by the errors, faults, and sins of others, but bears them gently. So a high priest was taken from the people that knows the weakness of the people, so that he, since he knows their weaknesses, would not be unnecessarily disturbed by errors and faults and sins of others, but that he would bear them gently. Isn't that absolutely awesome? So, let's read on. And by reason hereof, he ought, as for the people, so also to offer for his own sins. And no man, now listen to this, and no man, takes this honor to himself, the honor of high priest. But he is called of God as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified not himself to, make, to be made a high priest. So it was not because of Christ's good works that he was a high priest. Let me read it again. And no man takes the honor unto himself. It's not because of who the person is that he becomes the high priest. He's called of God, as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest. But he that said unto him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. So Jesus Christ, how did he become the high priest? He knew the weakness of man. He knew the, 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 the absolute, almost want to say disastrous state that man was in. He knew that. And how he became high priest was by the one that said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Or in another place, that you are uh, a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus was appointed as high priest, not because he um, could not know weakness, but because he knew weakness. So the Old Testament shadow was it had to be somebody that also knew what sin was. Now Jesus didn't have his own sin, neither did he sin, but he took our sin. So when Jesus was on the earth, he knew our sin. He knew our weakness. And he didn't appoint himself as high priest by how victoriously he lived. No. He was appointed by the Father as high priest, by the Father raising him from the uttermost weakness called death. Let's read the scripture. I think we, I mean, we cannot just say whatever we want. We look at the scripture and we submit to the scripture and we submit to what the Hebrew writer wrote here. It says here, and let's read it again. 
so also, in the very same way, Christ glorified not himself to be made high priest, but he that said unto him, You art my son, today I have begotten you. That's how he was glorified unto high priest. And he said also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now it explains here, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, was heard in that he feared. So it says here that Jesus Christ was at a place where he had to pray to the Father, that he had to be saved from death. Let's read it. Verse 7, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. So did Jesus need salvation from death? Yeah, he prayed and he had petition. A petition means to ask for a favor. He had prayers, requests, and the asking of a favor with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard and saved from death because of his reverent submission. Submission means not that he by himself brought forth life from himself. No, he submitted to the Father and listened to the Father and obeyed the voice of the Father. And as he reverently submitted, asking God to favor him with eternal life, he was heard in his reverent submission, not in his own righteousness. Son though he was, although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation. So what happens? Jesus Christ was not perfect. Now, uh, please hear me. He is the perfect Lamb of God, definitely. But when he was walking on the earth, he had imperfections. He had to go, he needed air, he needed food, he could become hungry, he could be tempted. Jesus Christ was tempted, man. He was tempted. He came to a place where the Bible says that who he was, he laid down who he was before the Son, before the, the creation of the world that was now incarnated. We, um, I would rather use the words who, be, who became flesh. He was at a place where he still had to be perfected. Yes, he was sinless, but he was he was made of human flesh and in weakness and had to cry to the Father for salvation from death. For he was carrying the sins of all people. He was, he, he, he baptized himself into the sins of humanity. He knows our weakness. He knows our distress. He knows what it is to have a government that does not give ear. He knows what it is to have a government that doesn't want to submit to God but calls itself God. He knows what it is to be under the Caesar. He knows what it is to be under the, the uh, rule of Rome and all those things as a human being. Jesus Christ know what it is when his father had to be a refugee to Egypt. 
because Herod came and killed all the babies. He knows that. He knows what it is to know that he's going to die. He knows what it is to go at a, to be at a place where he three times asks the father if it would be possible to remove death from the earth without him tasting death. And then he says, not my will be done, but your will. He knows what it is to be a human being facing death. Asking for salvation. He knows what that is. That's where we are. He knows all of that. That's why he is now, and after he was raised from the dead, he became perfect. The perfect high priest. Such a high priest is what we have need of. We can go and read that in chapter 7. Let's go back. I don't want, you, I don't want to lose you in, uh, in this. Let's read the scripture here. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, <clears throat> he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death and was heard because of his reverent submission, because he humbled himself. I cannot do it by myself. I cannot save myself. I cannot raise, uh, raise myself from the dead. The Father will raise me. The Spirit will raise me. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. So he was the Son. Although he was the Son, he laid down his life and came to a place where he suffered. And we think just on the cross. No, he suffered what it feels like to be a normal human being. Once made perfect in the resurrection, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. So those who are weak who can now obey him, and as the Father has given life, so he's given authority to the Son to give us life or give us aid right now where we behold these things which we think is so wrong. He became the source of salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So what does this mean? It means Jesus was weak. Somebody could only be a high priest that was taken from amongst the people. So that's why God, he had the promise of eternal life. It became flesh and from amongst people that are fleshly. He took this high priest that is weak in his own flesh by his own power. He promised unto him eternal life. And he said unto him, You are my son. Jesus didn't have proof of sonship. He didn't have proof of sonship, but the word that comes from the father and the virgin birth. That's the most he had. But he didn't see eternal life manifesting in his flesh. He knows the weakness of man. He knows what it is to be like us. And then he was appointed to be high priest. And that's why God says here, now I want to go back to chapter 4. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Since we have a great high priest that has ascended, in other words, he knows our weakness. 
but he's ascended and now he's the high priest to minister what? The gifts and the sacrifices. What is the gifts? The gifts is the power of life from the Holy Spirit. What is the sacrifice? It is the blood of Jesus. It is the life of the Son of God. That is given unto us, which washes us from what? From sin and from death, from despair, washing us from an evil conscience, a conscience that wants to, through labor and toil, try to create the future for us in the world. It washes us from that. How? By the hope of the resurrection and the empowering of the first fruit of the Spirit inside us now, where we now partake of the eternal life that is promised. And we partake of that as in the form of a first fruit. Isn't that absolutely powerful? Jesus didn't have sin. But he knew what it was to be weak. And the reason he knows weakness, he was tempted in every form just as what we are yet without sin. Then he was raised. So now he's got great compassion on us. I want to end off with Philippians chapter 2. Can you imagine how far Jesus Christ came from what he was before the world began to what he became for us. He knows. He knows in the fullness of who he is. He knows what it is to be as we are. As what the high priests of that time knew what it was to be human. That's how Jesus knew. He was the son of God. God was his father, not Joseph. And from that, that word of God being his father, he believed. He believed. He groaned. What was the groaning? With tears and supplication and loud cryings, groanings. He was making, uh, uh, putting in requests Asking the Father to favor him, to manifest eternal life, saving him from death. When the Father raised him, I know I repeat myself, but this is shocking to some. When the Father raised him from the dead, he appointed him as our high priest. As now, not being weak, but as now being strong. So now he can have compassion on us in our weakness, bringing us to who he is as a human before the Father. Fullness of glory, fullness of power. And I want to tell you, as we just preach this, you find that the latest COVID report just loses power. The latest thing they want to do with the vaccine, just like, so what? So what? But Bertie, what if they inject us and we die? Or what if people don't get injected and we die? Oh, so you want to know what about death? You want, let's go to death. Let's ask death. Let's go to the mouth of death, the grave. Let's go to the grave of Jesus Christ and let's see what death has got to say. It says that I couldn't hold him. 
That's what it says. I couldn't hold him. Even the grave is preaching the gospel, man. (laughs) So whenever you get a question about what if we die? Or what if my child doesn't have education? What if Jesus was raised from the dead, man? What if, now you might say, Bertie, you're not reasoning right. You know, what, what if my child, I look at my children, one, of, one has got a master's degree, the other one didn't go and study. So how does that now change their life? The other one might go and study. How does that change? Our life is not found in education. Well, thank God for education. We want we want our kids to be educated. I'm not against that, but I'm absolutely against having that as the definition and the hope, the definition of our Christian hope and the source of life for us. You are deeply loved by God. I end off with this with this verse. Philippians chapter 2. who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So the, so the son, prior to becoming flesh, didn't think, well, the fact that I have eternal life in myself is not going to be to my own advantage. It says here, rather, he made himself nothing. <laughs> rather, he made himself No thing, nothing, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. He became like nothing, just like dust. Being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man. When he appeared as a man, appeared as a man, we sometimes think that he just appears as if he is a man. That's not how that, that scripture should be read. He didn't, it doesn't, Jesus didn't just appear to be a man. No, he came in the appearance. His appearance was that of a man. But the father said, you are my son. For he was the son and then manifested as the son. So there was a time when he groaned. When creation was groaning, when he was groaning. knowing our weakness. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even the death of the cross. He humbled himself by willing, by being willing to be obedient unto death. In other words, he came to say, yes, Father, I obey you. I will take this nature of man on me, the appearance. I'll appear as a man. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When we look at what the Word, the Son, has done in becoming a man, we are humbled. We are humbled. I'm humbled when I see that. 
I see how he knows my weakness, how he believed, how he was raised from the dead, and how he's now appointed as Lord over the death in my life. And as he stands as a glorified human at the right hand of the Father, the fullness of the Godhead bodily, I'm under his authority whereby he will bring that fullness to my body and to your body. So now we can say, if God is for us, who can be against us? What shall separate me? from the love of God. What is there that God in the flesh has not experienced? What weakness does he not know that he has not conquered? He even entered into death. Do you know how much you can do when you've died? You are weak. You need, you need, you need prayer to someone who can raise you from the dead. And that's what Jesus came for us, so he can aid us. Bertie, there's death all around us. I want to tell you his spirit is all around us. They that are for us is more than they that are against us. You are the son of God. But what you are does not yet appear. But when he appears, who you truly are will appear. Jesus Christ, yes, in his weakness, God declared him to be the son of God. As what he's declaring to you, your life is not born from the flesh. Your life is born from the spirit. As what the life Jesus led, that which he clinged unto was the word of the father. He lived from every word that comes from the mouth of the father. And so it, the faithfulness of the father was seen in raising him from the dead. Now we've got an immortal, eternal high priest that can grace us. And the grace helps us. Thank you so much for this message. I know I've preached a long time, uh, but this is something that must settle deep. Because when I now look at the resurrected Jesus, I know it didn't just appear as if he knows my weakness. He knows my weakness. And it is conquered, and he is my high priest, knowing how to aid me in difficult times. Thank you so much for allowing me to serve you with this good news of Jesus Christ. And we will talk again next week. God bless.